From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. How grateful are you? How grateful are you? And what are you grateful for? And how intentional are you about how grateful you are. That is what the theme is of the show today. You are going to hear from my good friend, John O'Leary, who has an incredible story about overcoming adversity. I think you're going to love it. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to share with you five practical habits that you can do to increase your gratefulness and thereby have a happier heart. So it's another great episode. I want to jump right in with John because his story is worth the listen. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for tuning in. We'll get started just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales, To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. Well, my friend, you are about to be inspired. Uh, You're about to hear a story of one of the most amazing men that I have ever known and gotten to know personally. His name is John O'Leary, and I'm not going to tell you anything about his story because he's going to tell it. It's why he is here. But he is one of the best speakers out there, uh, you know, on this quote unquote circuit. And uh, I got a chance to see him speak live, and it was it was really incredible. And I loved getting to see John. He's amazing. Um, and he has a new book that is is just out. It's called On Fire, Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. And it's pretty amazing because the book, when it first came out, debuted at Amazon, on Amazon at number eight worldwide. Um, and as of right now, it is number two worldwide in all books on Amazon and is number one in three separate categories. This is a big a big book, uh, tens of thousands of copies already been sold, and uh, it's just an honor to introduce you to John O'Leary. So, John, thanks for being here. The honor is mine. Well, thank you, man. It was such a treat to get to sit in your audience last night, and uh, of course, you were speaking over at uh, Dave Ramsey's group, uh, part of with Southwestern Investments. So, one of our sister companies put that event, and, and you got to come, and so I was able to go. A few people from our team and. Uh, it was just amazing because I obviously know you, I know your story, but to get to see you do it. So can you just kind of fill everyone in? Like, tell us, tell us the, 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 the essence of your story. Yeah. So you, you can't know who I am today without knowing a little bit of, uh, who I was in the past. And I think that's true for all of us. You know, everybody has a story. It's just usually not the story we're telling the world. Mm. And that, that was certainly true for me for a very long time. I never told anybody my story, not in grade school, middle school, high school, or college, not when I started my own business, never. 
And so the story I, I kept so close to the vest was the story of me at the age of nine being burned on 100% of my body, being trapped in, in a garage, being eventually saved through the love and the courage of my brother Jim, rescued through the generosity of my sisters who did some remarkable things. But even with all their courage and all their love that day, I was still burned on 100% of my body and given absolutely no chance to survive. Um, I survived the first night, survived five months in the hospital, lost all my fingers to amputation, was burned and scarred from my neck to my toes, but um, recovered and never looked back. And so that, that's the, the background and the foundation of my story. But what I've learned is this crisis, this tragedy ended up being in time the greatest blessing in my life. And so I think that today that's the real story here. So I and you you just you you skipped so so you say that obviously it's you it's part of your story but when you say you were burned on 100% of your body this was it wasn't something like 87% of your of the burns were third degree burns that's right so and and I realize many of your listeners won't probably know what that means but it means the skin will never again grow back after the explosion in the garage I was trapped almost for a minute in the garage, eventually made my way out and on fire the entire time. And my brother Jim, who was 17 at the time, I was nine, runs over to me, beats down the flames, carries me outside, saves my life. And like you said, the damage was done. And the way today they figure out burn mortality. So this is 30 years later. They take the percentage of the body burned. So if you're at home, do the math with me, 100. Mm -hmm. They add the patient's age and they've just discovered mathematically mortality. So in, in 2016, if this same thing happens, there's a 109% likelihood of the little boy dying. Mm -hmm. And 30 years ago, before the advances in technology and medicine, somehow, you know, I think th through the miracle of science and love and God, yeah, we survived. It was arduous. It was painful, but we survived. And you were, so you're in the garage and, and, and there, you're, what happened, there was an explosion. This wasn't like a little match. This was, was it a five pound gasoline? Yeah. Five gallon can of gasoline. Five gallon. That's 42 pounds of liquid. Wow. And it explodes. You're on fire. Yes. And, and then you run outside. Yes. I, I was laughing yesterday when you said they teach you stop, drop and roll. That's what they teach you to do when you're a kid. But when you're on fire... Yes, you run, <laughs> That's what it is. and I, I, and then your your brothers and sisters save your life. Yes, you're in the you're you're in the so so. Take me to that moment. I want to go to the moment that you first like wake up. Like obviously, I, I can't I can't imagine, but I it, you're you're not thinking right. And at some point, you wake up in the hospital, and you you have like your first kind of conscious thought. Mm. Yeah. What? So the amazing thing for me, and, and I want to go back to two things. One, you know, yesterday when I was telling the folks at the Dave Ramsey uh, meeting, you know, what do you do when you're on fire? And the the, the audience yelled back, stop, drop and roll. Mm -hmm. And then I said, perfect class. But what do you really do when you're on fire? <laughs> and everybody yells, run, run. <laughs> and I think, you know, this is important for, for your podcast listeners because we train to the head. We, we do it in sales training. We do it in leadership training. We do it in all types of training, but we live and we lead and we serve and we sell and we buy from a way more sacred spot in our hearts. 
It's not our head that we lead with. It is our hearts. And so when I speak, when I write, when I live, man, I try to come from a very authentic place from my heart to connect with others where they are in their heart. I think that's the best way to move a message, to move an organization, to move a family forward. So I want to take you back there first. Secondly, the first conscious thought, I never actually lost consciousness. So I remember being in the So you remember everything. Like you remember the whole thing. Vividly, vividly. And I'm grateful for those memories today, but I remember it vividly in the ambulance ride over. And I remember, to your point, laying in the hospital bed. I'm looking up at the ceiling. The light is kind of coming down on me. And, and as a child, I'm nine. My only thought back then was, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm laying in this bed naked and skinless. I'm nine years old. I'm dying. And my thought is, oh, my gosh, my dad is going to kill me when he finds out <laughs> that I played with fire and gasoline, man. He's going to freak oh, out. Gosh. And so that's my thought. And then he comes into the room. He walks over to me. He points down. My eyes are shut. My arms are kind of crossed at this point. I'm trying to get cold and ready for it. And he says to me, John, look at me when I'm talking to you. So I look up at my dad and he says back, John, I have never been so proud of anybody in my entire life. And my little buddy, this morning, I am just so proud to be your dad. And then my dad said, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I remember closing my eyes even tighter and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, oh gosh. Nobody told my dad what happened. You know, (laughs) dude doesn't know. And then my next thought is, man, I wonder if I can get away with it. You know, maybe I can pull this thing off. Maybe Jim is painting the garage right now. I mean, who knows? But for the parents in the room and for the leaders on your podcast, I think we all know my dad knew. And we all know at the end of the day, we can be motivated from one of two places. And this is really key. Most of us, if we're not thinking intentionally, if we are kind of accidentally living our way through the journey of life, we're living based out of fear. This is how we kind of live professionally. It's how we lead in our marriages. It's how we do our parenting. It's certainly what's happening politically today. We lead from a place of fear. But alternatively, and this is what I learned from my dad that day, there's a different motivating force that is so much more powerful and so much more transformative and available to all of us. And it's to lead from a place of great love. And that may sound trite until you actually embrace it in your own life, until you actually step forward and lead it and model it and serve with it and sell with it and buy with it and model it around you. It it changes how you show up, the words you speak, the thoughts that you have, the actions you take and the results you get. And I, I, you know, your heart just is, it's, it's so inspiring to me because to hear your story in such vivid detail and this, I mean, this story goes on and on. It's, it's not like it's not like, oh, I was burned yeah. and then I was in the hospital and then, you know, right. a few months later I was fine. I mean, the recovery, it's just, it changes, it changes your entire life. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was, um, and you, and you said this, I think you, you said, we all have a story. It, hmm. We're just, most of us aren't telling the real story about what's happening right. or something like that. Why didn't you tell the story? Like, cause the, this was, this was what, 30 years ago? For you? Yeah, uh, just about 30 years ago. And so laying in the hospital bed, my mom looked at me. She's the next one. In, and she said, uh, hi, baby. And then she says, I love you. So I said, mom, knock it off with the love. Am I going to die? Mm. And instead of just saying, no, you're fine. 
she was bold enough to meet me where I was, which is so important in sales and leadership in life, meet me right where I was, but also courageous enough to love me there, which is not an easy way out. It's actually extraordinarily hard to be love and to be truth for somebody else. I think there's a lesson here that we get riffed on on the next podcast to be truth in a community, I think, starred for it. But I looked up at my mom and I said, am I going to die? And she looks right back at me, does not even take a breath. And she says, baby, do you want to die? Your choice. It's not mine. Mm. And I said, no, mom, I don't want to die. And her response was good. Then take the hand of God. You walk the journey with him, but you fight, baby, like you have never fought before. Your daddy and I will be with you every step along the way, but you must fight. You got to want this thing. And on that day, and we're going to answer your question here in a moment, I made a decision to fight on away from death. I never wanted to die. But what that meant is as I moved through five months in hospital, and you're right, the story is rich, man, with lessons and individuals that showed up and the impact that they made and what it means for the rest of us. But what it means for me is I, I always tried to fit in. I never was able to embrace the miracle of that recovery. Mm. When you lose your fingers as a nine-year-old, your goal is not to say, hey, guys, look what happened to me. It's actually to show others that you're normal, just like them. And so I, mm. I try to play soccer. I try to shoot baskets underhand, which I still do. I balance the ball on my knuckles. I play with my kids all the time. Uh, it changed how I showed up in high school. Because if you're not athletic, like I was not, if you're not artsy, like I'm not, what can you do well? Well, I could become kind of a class clown and then I could become the class bench, man. So I became kind of a drunk in high school and college because that's something that I could do well mm. to fit in. And then after graduating college, well, gosh, I need to figure out what I'm going to do now to fit in. So I picked real estate development. I mean, if you could pick the hardest job in the world for a guy that has no fingers to pick up, <laughs> gosh. dude, it might be carpentry. I mean, there might be something worse, like a court reporter. I'm not sure. But but carpentry is pretty, pretty tough. And that's what I took on. Looking back on it, it's so obvious. It was a cry from the top of the ladder, hanging drywall of a little man saying, hey, world, look how normal I am. But back then, I just thought I was trying to, you know, do my thing, man, find success. And then my mom and dad's book came out. It changed my life. I realized the story that I had been running from and hiding from and covering up was a gift. I, I think our scars are useless when we cover them up, but they are illuminative and inspiring and so empowering when we embrace them and mm. share them. And so I'm, I'm finally, man, I'm still working through this, but I'm sharing it today. It's an authentic message. It's real. And as you heard last night, at the end of the day, at the end of the message, at the end of the book, it's not about me. It's a guy standing in front of people vulnerably, holding up a mirror, saying, people, take a look at your life, at where you are, at how you got here, and at what you're going to do next. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, you know, you... you... You talked about you were talking about last night where they were doing the skin grafts on your back, and for se mm. se several weeks, all you could do was lay on your stomach for several weeks, and and they cut a hole, and you're looking at the floor, and that's mm -hmm. it. That's all you're doing for several weeks, and um, obviously now, you know, you've learned to live with no 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 fingers, right? Mm. Um, you you've got uh, these permanent burns, and and your whole life you got to deal with like this morning when we were at the coffee shop and you said look you know people are people are always going to look at me and you, you've had all of these things that have happened and yet somehow somehow you choose to be grateful for it somehow you choose to be thankful for it and and i think it is inspiring because i think people have a hard time 
being grateful for what they have. And uh, so how do you do that? Like, how do you do that? How are you so grateful? How do you, yeah. how do you develop that? So I, it's a beautiful question and I, I just appreciate even asking it. I, I think when we are victims to our burns and uh, not only does everybody have a story, everybody's been burned, man. I mean, I know your story. I think it's fantastic what you've been through, but I also know every one of your listeners has their story of being burned. Uh, maybe it's more intense than my story and your story. Maybe it's maybe seemingly less so, but we've, we've all been burned. So now what? So I, what I want to take folks through is the three questions that victims love to ask themselves. Mm. So if, if you are taking notes at home or just listening in your car, perfect, man, just listen closely because when we are having bad days, when we are asking, man, why me again? Th these are the three questions we ask. We love that first question, the victim's question of why me? Mm -hmm. And then we, we kind of cross our arms because we realize, man, life sucks. I mean, this is horrible what's happening right now. So the next question is, well, who cares? You know, arms crossed, heart cold, who cares? Whatever. The great question of indifference. And then the final nail in the coffin is, well, geez, what more can I do? You know, I'm just one. It's a big company. It's a big family. It's a big world. I, one little guy can't do much here. And I want to replace those three questions in your mindsets today with three completely different questions that I am convinced breathe life and breathe possibility into relationships and into faith, into health into work, into sales, and into life. The, these, if you're looking for a header, are the victor's questions. The, these are when we realize, my gosh, we're, okay. we're fortunate, and there's more incredible stuff in front of us yet. So these three questions, here we go. First one is, why me? Why am I so lucky? Why am I so fortunate? Why did this thing happen, and what am I going to learn about it? Why me? Why do I get to raise my family in the freest country in the history of the world? Why did I survive something that was truly unsurvivable? Why do I get to live with that miracle every day? My gosh, I am lucky. I'm blessed. I'm going to act like it, which gets me out of bed early. It allows me to pop into the shower, uncross my arms, and ask the next question, which is who cares if I have a few scars or if my fingers aren't exactly where I thought they might be at this point in my life? Who cares, man? I'm fortunate, and today I'm going to act like it. I'm going to live on fire with mission and purpose. But who cares if there are some struggles and bumps on the way there? And that frees us to get through the day with a positive outlook, impacting as many lives around us as possible, freeing us to ask that third critical question, which I hope your listeners already know what it is, which is what, what more can, can I, I do, do, man, to ensure tomorrow is better than today. Our perspective, our mindset matters profoundly on how we view what happened yesterday how we show up today and the life we create for ourselves and those we care about tomorrow. It's a really big deal. And I just challenge and invite your listeners to embrace the gift of their mindset and the gift of their lives. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, it's so powerful. These, these three questions, you know, it's this, obviously it's the same three questions. Why me? Who cares? What more can I do? But the, uh, attitude is simply the way you choose to see things. Yes, that that's it. And it's like, you can go, why me? Like, why does it happen to me? Mm. Or you can go, wow, why me? Like how lucky. And that, I think, you know, particularly that why me question is, cause that is the first thing that happens, right? It's like, why does that this, is, why does those this are, happen? Those are sequential questions. I just encourage your listeners start their morning one minute earlier tomorrow than they did today with a journal in hand maybe on their knees or maybe sitting down somewhere comfortable with that, with that pen in hand. Why me? Make a list. Why me? 
and fill up that piece of paper. Do it again the following day. My, my, my encouragement is don't write down the same things. Just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And eventually you'll write down crazy things like hot water, man, mm-hmm. air in the summertime, geez, blue skies, blossoming lilies. I mean, th- these are beautiful things that we are too busy to focus on. I've, I've been fortunate to travel for work a lot, not only all around the country, but all around the world. And I found in third world countries, those that have the least are grateful for the most. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are grateful for a few specks of rice in front of them. They're really fired up about it. And then you come home and we complain and gripe that our lattes have a little too much cream in them. So mm-hmm. we, we send them back, man. Well, geez, I mean, why me? Ask it as a victor, not as a victim. Wow. That is so true that very often those with the, the least are grateful for the most because when you don't, I mean, that's one of the, it's one of the, the coolest things. It's about how I think about faith a lot of times when I go, you know, when I was selling books, I tell my story about quitting, wanting to quit and mm-hmm. sit, sitting on the curb. And I go, <laughs> I think sometimes God has to strip us of everything because when he finally strips us of everything, the only thing that's left is him. But it's like, as long as there's all these blessings yes. in my life, I don't see him. And so it's like every what, what everything is taken away. It's like there's nothing else left but him. I have no choice but to turn to him and trust him and ask him for help and 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 pray to him. And he never leaves. And then in that, it's like now I'm finally rooted in what matters, you know, and everything yes. else is insignificant. And it, it, I think in that mindset, it keeps you so humble, so grateful, and then so hungry. Mm-hmm. Now you talk about um, like uh, you 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 have this 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 whole thing about your dad uh, when you <laughs> when you came out of the hospital and your dad said something to you. He said you did it, <laughs> and you you kind of and we obviously don't have all you know as much time right now as we did last night, but. You talk about how your dad started, you know, that journey, you did it and you started from you, you know, I did it, but then you, you went on this transformation as you look back and as you've gotten older, can you kind of just walk us through that realization? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you heard that last night, but no one has heard that before because I, I was just trying to be so real with the group last night on part of my story and part of the story to get back to your question I'm, I'm, I've recovered now, four and a half months in the hospital. It is a crazy journey. And I hear my dad's voice on the hallway. He's pushing a wheelbarrow toward me. The wheelbarrow has champagne and lifesavers. It's just jam-packed with champagne and lifesavers for the nurses, the staff, the therapists, the chaplains and social workers, the doctors that help save his son's life. So he drops off the wheelbarrow, comes eye level with me as I sit in my wheelchair, and he looks me in the eyes and says, you did it. And you know, nine years old, man, my head is still wrapped with bandages. I have bandages from my neck to my toes back then. It's, it's still a mess. But I remember thinking as he, as he said that, you know what? Dad's right, man. I did it. Look what I did. I survived the unsurvivable. I got out of this hospital, man. I'm going home. I did this. And, and then, like I shared with you last night, a couple hundred other friends, looking back on it, I, I realized today so humbly how little I did. Uh, there's no doubt that I endured it, but I, I didn't do it. Uh, my, my brother did it. You know, he's the one that put out the fire. And, and, and then my sisters did it. They have a remarkable story that we're not going to unpack today. And then my mom and dad did it with the great love they showed. And the doctors and nurses did it. And the volunteers did it. We, we got a letter from Pope John Paul while I was in the hospital. 
He said he was mm. he was writing to let me know he was thinking and praying for me and my family. Wow. So Pope John Paul did it. And President Reagan and Nancy wrote a letter saying that they were praying for me to do it. In other words, while in hospital, it was not me who did it. I was the recipient of a whole lot of people investing their entire lives and their energy and their prayer and donations of dollars and blood and a whole lot of things so that this little boy might be the recipient of great love so that we can do it. And that, that same truth is alive and well in my journey from age nine all the way to where I am with you today at age 38. I haven't done a whole lot in my life, actually. I've been fortunate to surround myself with great people. I've been fortunate to, I'll kick the coverage and marry a beautiful wife. I mean, my, my wife is awesome. <laughs> uh, I've been fortunate through her to have four incredible children and my mom and dad are who are still both alive and so influential in my life. And we did it. And then if you look at all of that, you, you got to look back as you get to where we are in our life today. I mean, a number two bestseller on Amazon. I'm not that good of a writer. I don't have that many friends in my network, man. I didn't do that either. We did this. And mm -hmm. as, as you go one step farther back, dude, it's got to be, there's got to be something else doing it too. And it, as I see it, in my worldview, I think it's God. I mean, I'm just convinced of it today. I think the miracle of living is part of the story. But all these other things sequentially falling perfectly in time, one by one by one, day after day, year after year, now decade after decade. I'm not that good. I can't plan that out. So that, I think God did it all, man. So I'm just grateful for it. And I can't wait to see what he does next. So you think God was using all this from the very beginning as a plan? Like this was all like something that he was going to use? I, I I am convinced that God uses all things and things great and things small, things blessing oriented and also things seemingly tragic. We did our, our official book launch in St. Louis on Saturday night. So just a few days ago, and we had about 1,100 people in this room. It's amazing. We sold this theater. It was, it was on fire, pardon the pun, but there's no other, other way to say it. It was awesome. Uh, near the end of it, I played a little song on the piano. A guy without fingers played us the first song that mm. he learned when he came back from the hospital. Hospital. My mom made me take piano lessons again, and I played a song to honor her, the first song she helped teach me, which, which is Memories from Cats, Memories. And then I took any questions from the crowd, and just these incredible shares, primarily they weren't questions. They were men and women who were part of the story that I have not seen in 30 years, and then they showed up this night. So a lady stands and she talks about being a young therapist and stretching me. And I would just weep while she was stretching me. And she, she ignored those tears all the way until she went out into the car after the day. And she would weep at the steering wheel, realizing she is hurting me. It stinks. It's tragic. But it's going to someday lead to this little boy getting mm. out of the wheelchair. So she stretched me. And we haven't seen each other in three decades. So she stands. Then one of my classmates that I have not seen in about two and a half decades stands. And she says, John, uh, I haven't seen you in a long time, but today I am a nurse. And I want you to know that I'm a nurse because when I was nine years old, I'm getting emotional, man. I was nine years old. A little boy in our class disappeared for about 14 months. And when they brought him back, he was in a wheelchair. And eventually he learned to walk and ride again. And I was so influenced and impacted by who you became in time that I wanted to impact others the way your nurses impacted you. And th th these are some of the stories that were shared that night. And there are countless others impacted by this story. And I think that's not me and that's not them. I think it's a creator who uses all things for a purpose greater than we can fathom today. Mm. 
Wow. I did it to, from I did it to we did it to he did it. What a <laughs> great, um, what a great perspective. So my friend, so the book is called On Fire, Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. Instant national bestseller. It's out there. Where should, where do you want people to go to either get the book or get connected to you? Yeah. So um, how about for me, first of all, because I really would love to stay in touch. If, if you, my friends, ever need a thing, I, I like to have true conversations. And it, that looks like anything. Sometimes it means I'm struggling, John, keep us in your thoughts and prayers, or maybe it's advice, or maybe you just want to celebrate something. I love it. So share with me online at John O'Leary inspires.com. That's my website, John O'Leary inspires.com where I would encourage your followers to grab the book. You know, it, most local retailers, certainly Barnes and Noble carries it. It's uh, in the front of the store today. Uh, if they have it in your local indie stores, I think that's a cool way to support your community, support these mom and pa type shops that are really trying to make a difference where they are. That's awesome. So consider supporting them. And then if you if you read online or you just want to get it tomorrow in the mail, Amazon's a great place to get it. So I think Barnes and Noble, the independent retailers or Amazon, any of those three would be great. That's awesome. Wonderful, my friend. Well, uh, I thank you for inspiring us to both be grateful for what we have and and for having the perspective that what we have is has very little to do with what we deserve or what we have earned on our own, but that it has come by the way of all the people who have supported us and lifted us up in our lives um, and all things. So we wish you the, we wish you the very best, John O'Leary. Well, my friend, I'm grateful, and uh, I appreciate you letting me share this message on waking people up from accidental living. This this is our time to reclaim our lives. So uh, thank you for leading the way and uh, allowing me to share this message. Well, I hope that you found that inspiring. It's a pretty amazing story. And there were so many things that I, I took away from John and, and that I have taken from John over the years. And one of the things that hit me this time that it, it never has really quite like this before was he said, you know, we all have a story to tell. It's just that most of us don't tell the story that we're actually living. And it is so amazing how that is true that we a lot of us have this amazing story and we just, we don't tell anybody the story because we don't think it's special or we don't think it's interesting or, or in a lot of cases, it's a story that we're trying to hide and we don't want people to know about it. And I'm so thankful and hopefully you are that, uh, John is now out there telling his story because I think what he said is true. We're, we are all, we're all victims to our burns. We've all, we have all been burned and we've all been hurt. And it's just the the reality of life that you're gonna get hurt and you're gonna get you're gonna be broken and you're gonna make mistakes and people are gonna do things to you and things are gonna happen that you don't deserve and and we get burned. Accidents happen. And we don't always get to choose whether or not we get burned. The only choice that we have is how we respond to those burns. And in John's case, his response is life-changing. And it's so simple. It's so simple. It's responding with the the gratitude choice. It's responded, it's responding with being grateful. And I loved what he was talking about how those with the least are usually the ones who are grateful for the most. It really is amazing how that is that the people with the with the, the littlest amount of stuff 
with the, the, the least amount of, you know, food or money or shelter or clothing. They're the ones that are so grateful. And sometimes I look at my life and I look at myself and I go, you know, I, I'm probably just, I, I need to be more grateful. I need to be, I need to be more grateful. I have so many things in my life that I can be grateful for. I, I think I, I have worked at this. I wouldn't say that I necessarily, I don't think I would consider myself great at being grateful. It's something that I have to work at and I've struggled with for, you know, my whole life. It's just, I, I, my mind tends to, my mind, my mind generally tends to wander towards what's broken, what needs to be fixed, what's wrong with the situation, uh, what, why aren't things the way that I, I think they should be. And it's a blessing and a curse because it, it helps me to to see opportunities and things to to improve and to grow and to move, and it it keeps me motivated and ambitious to always be trying to make things better. But the the flip side of it is it it's really a a, a battle on my gratitude because the the counterbalancing force there is that I'm not maybe appreciating everything that I have or everything that we've done so far, or everything that is. I'm always looking to what isn't. And so I wanted to share with you five practices. These are just some, some simple ideas of some choices that I think you can make in your life every day. These are practical things that you can do that will help you exercise the gratitude muscle. Because the the more I think about this, I think gratitude is very much a disciplined thing. It's 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 an intentional decision and what working uh, people think of gratitude as like a soft skill, right? We think about it as kind of fluffy or, or, you know, whatever. Um, but I think of it as a very pragmatic and practical and tangible skill, just as pragmatic as learning to balance a checkbook or, or lift weights or whatever. I mean, what working out is to looking good and what balancing your checkbook is to being rich I think that is what grateful is to being happy. Gratefulness is like the work of being happy. It's the it's the conscious intentionality of being happy. And and when you do the disciplined work of counting your blessings. When you when you actually do that work, then you will be happy. Because when you're being grateful, you're making that choice to count the things that you do have instead of counting the things that you do not have. So these are five daily practices that will help you build the gratitude muscle. And I think it makes for a happy heart. I think gratitude is often the work it takes. It's the discipline of being happy. And so number one is to choose to say thank you first thing in the morning. I've talked about this before. Of course, we've had Hal Elrod, the author of The Miracle Morning, on. We talked a lot about this, and this is a huge thing. When we did the Seven Realizations of Rich People blog series on my blog a long time ago, this was this is one of the most common things I find with wealthy and successful and just, in general, happy people is that if you're not consciously thinking about the good things in your life, then you will unconsciously start thinking about the challenging things or the bad things. And the battle for your mind starts the first second that alarm clock goes off. I mean, when your alarm goes off, the the battle for your day has begun. And that first moment has so much to 
dictate the course of the rest of your day. And that choice about uh, are you what are you going to choose to think? And what I would challenge you to do is make the very, very first thought every single morning, the first thought in your mind, that the, the, the moment you hear the alarm clock, make that thought just be thank you for blank. Thank you for blank. And then you say it over and over. Thank you for, thank you for, thank you for, thank you for. And then you keep repeating, you repeat it as many times as you possibly can, filling in that blank with different things. And you, you get, you know, you get creative and you really think, what am I really thankful for? And you say it over and over as much as you can until you, until you, you know, you get distracted, but you have to, to fight that. You have to really, really work at this. So you choose to say thank you first thing in the morning. Second thing, and this is huge. Have high expectations of giving and no expectations of receipt. Have high expectations of giving and no expectations of receipt. Unmet expectations are a great source of dissatisfaction in our lives. It, it is, right? That's why we get mad. Like we get, we get mad because I thought it was going to be this and it didn't turn out to be that way. You know, I thought marriage was going to be like this, and it's not that. I thought being a parent was going to be like this, and it's not that. I thought that this new job was going to be like this, and it's not that. And so that those unmet expectations are a huge source of dissatisfaction. So if you if you have high expectations of what you deserve, like if you have high expectations of what you deserve or what you feel is owed to you, uh, or what you feel that you've earned, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment. It makes it very hard to be grateful. On the contrary, when you don't feel like you deserve anything, like when you feel like you're just supposed to work and you're just supposed to help other people and you're just supposed to be disciplined and you're supposed to do all the things that other people maybe don't want to do and you don't expect anything in return for that, then everything that comes your way is this huge, bountiful, wonderful blessing. And there's something magical about how appreciating your blessings brings more abundance into your life. I don't know exactly how it works. It's, it's a God thing, but it's something, there is something magical. The more grateful you are, the more blessings that show up, which I guess on a spiritual level does make sense. Because if you have kids and your kids, you, their kids ask you for something, you want to give them stuff. And if they're excited about it and they're grateful for it and they love you, then you always want to give them stuff. But if they're a brat about it and they don't appreciate it, it makes you less likely to want to give. Well, I think the same is true with your heavenly father, right? Like he can give you anything. He wants to give it to you. And if, you, if you're grateful for it, he is going to give you more. So maybe that's kind of how it works. But have high expectations of giving with no expectations of receipt, which by the way, that phrase, giving without expectation of receipt, is the definition of the word grace. It is the definition of the word grace, giving without expectation of receipt. Number three, this is your third practice. Respond to every negative situation by counting your blessings. Every time you are tired. Every time you are upset, every time you're discouraged or frustrated or angry or sad, immediately catch yourself and start listing off all of the things that you're thankful for. This is doing exactly what you did to start 
the day, but you do it as a as a lifesaver for yourself, as, as, a, as a rescue system. When you start being negative, immediately start counting your blessings. And it's so hard to do. But if you can develop the discipline to do this one thing, this will drastically change your life. Respond to negative situations by counting blessings. blessings. Number four, notice and engage with people who have less than you do. And notice and engage the people who have less than you do. It's, 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 you know, there's that old phrase from Charlie Tremendous Jones. You are, uh, you know, five years from now, you will be the same you are, except for the, you know, the books you read and the people who you hang out with, or you are the average of the five people you meet. And I really believe that. And I believe in, I believe in pursuing people who are more successful than you or more advanced than you or further along. I, I, I fully believe in that. But there's also tremendous value in spending time with people who have less than what you have. People who, who are, you know, newer on the path or maybe don't have as much as, as you do. And one of the greatest reasons is because the more you spend time with people who have less than you, the more your eyes are opened to all of the amazing blessings that you have in your life, many of which you probably take for granted. And, and this can be volunteering, it can be donating, it can be just mentoring people, but spending time with people who have less than you and engaging with them, right? You know, it's, it's that, uh, you know, person on the street corner, that homeless guy on the street corner that you see. And, you know, maybe you see him every day and, 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 you know, at least every once in a while, just stop and think about what would life be like to be that guy and engage with him, give him something Every once in a while, I mean, what's a few dollars? It's not going to affect you that much, right? Like, um, it, it helps remind you of what you have. It also reminds you of how far you've come, and and how lucky you are. And that's a an, an an invigorating thing. And last, last but not least, say thank you and give credit to those around you. Give credit to those around you when you take credit for things. And and I'm. I'm the worst at this. This is something that, you know, if if I had to share, if somebody asked me, what are you least proud of over, you know, the last 10 years or the first 10 years of your career, the early part, I think it was this. I think I took too much credit for stuff. It's it's probably the thing I am I'm I'm least proud of in my entire life, actually. Because when you take credit for things, when you say I did, when you and when you actually believe that it was all you, you start to feel owed. You start to feel owed, and that makes it impossible to be grateful. But when you give away credit and you're constantly intentional about the work and the help of everyone around you, your eyes are open to just how much other people are supporting you. And you start to realize that, that even if you did 100% of the work, and you didn't, <laughs> you never did. But even if you did 100% of the work on something, there is a whole army of people in your life who made choices and sacrifices that helped create the environment and the circumstance that you live in that enables you to do anything and everything you do. 
that if you have a computer there's a if you use a computer there are so many people who have made sacrifices and paid a price to enable you to have that opportunity if you live in a in your the country you live in right the environment you live in the home the business that you work in even if you absolutely hate your job and you hate your boss there's a whole lineage of people who have made sacrifices and put in work that had nothing to do with you that enabled the environment for you to do what you do and so not only is it not accurate to think that you did it or to take credit for it, it's, it's a terrible way to live. And just trust me on this. And it's, it's the fastest way to push people who are important to you far away. And so these, these five things, say thank you first thing in the morning, have high expectations of giving, no expectations of receipt, respond to negative situations by counting blessings, notice and engage with people who have less than you, and say thank you and give credit to those around you. If you do those five things, practice them often. And they won't be easy, but they are simple. So like everything else, it's just a decision. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.